welcome to another episode of FTU, Life After the Military. I'm Tony Rodriguez. I'm your host. And yes, I know that uh, intro is a little bit longer than usual, but man, every time I, I play that, I just want to listen to it a little bit more. Um, I was really tired before we started this episode, and now I feel like I can go, I can go run, I don't know, maybe a half mile. Um, but today I'm uh, lucky enough to be uh, joined by my friend Rob. Rob and I were uh, in Charlie 97, uh, which turned into Charlie 98 after a few months. And Rob is just like me. He's a retiree. He has a wealth of knowledge on the GS system and how to go about that, um, if, if that's what you're interested in. And with that, Rob, I'm going to pass it over to you. Tony, I tell you, it was funny. When I listened to your intro, I always kind of laugh because you're one of the few people, uh, your, your, your taste in music has always been uh, impressive to me just because you never see like the guy that should, should love Iron Maiden and hair bands and everything else, uh, but you are that guy. Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of this podcast, right? Just be who you are, and you shouldn't have to apologize for that. I, I remember uh, telling you the first time that I was going to go see Journey and the look on your face. It's like, what? They still exist? Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and not just that, but then you did it right because you brought your daughter with you. And, and that, to me, because, of course, my daughter's first concert was Kiss. Uh, and, 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 and of course I had to take her to that and she was 12 at the time. And, uh, it was, it was a experience that I was robbed of as a young kid when the original kiss was still around before they went makeup list. Um, so I wasn't going to let my daughter lose out on that. So when you took her to, when you always took your daughter as your co- concert partner, I always thought that was the greatest thing. Yeah. I'm actually glad I did because, uh, you know, she's down in, in Alabama right now and, uh, you know, part of some, she's not part of the band, but she's part of some music club and, you know, they, she's picking up something else. Like I said, she plays a violin, the she's piano, not, the not ukulele. Not part of the million dollar band or whatever it is they call it. No, no, no. Well, she, she thinks uh, the marching band are a bunch of geeks. Um, <laughs> so, all right, sure. Uh, but she's out there, you know, playing music. When my oldest, uh, he went to Alabama and, and, and when he was going to the school, met a kid who was in processing the same time frame. And uh, the kid was part of the million dollar band and the kid had a full ride. I mean, it was, it was like the kid, you know, they might be the, the, the nerds, the, I guess you could say that grouping of nerds, but they, they had that same demeanor almost like the star athlete because they're the star band nerds <laughs> and they had full rides of school for it. You're like, what? But kudos to them, I guess. Yeah, more power to you, man. If he, they, that kid figured out a way to pay for college, right? And yeah, so good on him. Or her. So I guess I'm, uh, I, know, I know I've been able to to listen to some of our, our 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 brothers that you've had on. Like I told you earlier before we started, you know, one of the nice things about one what you're doing, it's it's to me, it's 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 great. I think that the the veteran community needs more voices that help guide them in the right direction. There's a lot of programs, there's a lot of um, money being spent or put towards veterans uh, activities, but a lot of things are going unused because people aren't talking to one another or they don't know where to turn to. And one of the things that even I'll touch on hopefully in a few minutes is the thing that we don't do well sometimes 
is ask questions. So therefore, you know, we're not talking, we're not finding out. This is that 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 platform that provides veterans a good place to go to. Don't have to ask the question until you feel like maybe sending an email to to, to Tony or anybody else of your guests. But it's been great because even for me to hear and kind of connect, even though I wasn't talking to Junior, uh, I was talking to Junior regularly before I retired. I was harassing him incessantly. Um, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesse, you know, Drew, BJ, people who've been those, you know, people we haven't seen in a while. And it, it was great to hear voices. But that's, you know, like I said, that's a small part of, to me, it's bigger of what you're doing and helping other veterans. Um, so who am I and what qualifies me to be here, I guess? So uh, I was just a misled kid from Chicago who joined the Army at 17, and I was a senior in high school going to uh, – I can remember I, – I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember that day when I was on my way to anthropology, uh, senior year, walking through the hallways at school, going to a class that was a blow-off class, not knowing what I was going to do after high school. And uh, saw an Army recruiter in the hallway, grabbed one of his brochures, took it into the classroom, and instead of paying attention during the movie, I was reading the, the, the brochure about the Army. Um, lo and behold, you know, 32 and some change later, I, I called it a career. But uh, joined in 89. Um, I, I It was funny because I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I joined. Um, had a good GT score, as most of us in the military know, that was always the I guess the qualifying score for us, the general technical score, um, I had a height of 128. So it kind of gave me any job in the book. I wanted to be an MP at the time. Uh, I was I was 17 when I was joining. So they told me, sorry, kid, you can't go that route. You got to be 18 to carry a sidearm around civilians. Uh, but here's the book. Pick a job with your scores. You can take whatever you want. I pushed a book back at him and said, Pointed to the poster behind him on the wall and said, I want to be that guy. And in the late 80s, it was a, a, a guy, it was a poster with a guy, ranger rolling the hats, chest deep in the swamp with the rifle, camouflage on his face. I said, that's the guy I want to be. And he goes, are you sure? Sure enough, I was on my way to Fort Benning, 11 X-ray airborne ranger option. Uh, but, uh, did, but I was a smart infantryman. And no, that's not an oxymoron. They do exist. They're called 11 Charlies. So I did that for the first 17 years of my career. Um, I, I, I ETS in 99 uh, because I just felt I wanted to be a better father. Uh, I was deployed a lot for a lot of the peacekeeping operations in the 90s to include the Gulf War. Um, but then when I got out, I stayed in the reserves. And then... Um, a little bit later, I got mobilized in 03, um, did a year in that capacity. And then once I uh, did, was finishing my year, I found an opportunity to switch over to active duty. Probably one of the toughest decisions I made because I ETS in order to be closer to my daughter. I ended up getting divorced from my wife. And so I was actually choosing a path that was going to take me away from my daughter um, and then went back into the Army. But the, for me as a person, it was probably one of the better moves I made just because um, I was floundering personally because my professional life, 
I, I, I had a good job. I was a cop. I, I was doing well, but I just wasn't, I, I was a soldier. You know, that's what I did from 17 to 27. And then when I got the chance to do it again, I so I switched back over to active duty. Um, and of course, and like you mentioned at the, in the intro in 06, I went to civil affairs, chose that route because I learned about CA when I was in the reserves, almost switched to a reserve unit in Chicago. Um, but 9-11 happened, never got the ability to switch. And like I said, was mobilized in the, in, in, as an infantryman. Um, funny thing is, is the infantry, to, in order to keep your infantry MOS in the reserves, you had to be either a drill sergeant or an instructor. I chose instructor because I never wanted to be a drill. <laughs> but uh, like I said, 06, one CA, and then did that for the final 16 years. And I, I never looked back. I loved what, what I did as CA. Um with you, of course, we were you know, we, we, we built the 97th plank holders for that and then plank holders for the 98th, um, but then continued to – I left the island, as we call the lovely place of Fort Bragg, um, and, and when you leave the island, you either sometimes miss it or you flourish. I flourished. I enjoyed what I was doing in, in, in the staff realm. I, I, I built the 82nd, which was, of course, the brief – uh, short-lived 85th Civil Affairs Brigade. And then, um, of course, as we went back to SWIC and then PCS to Germany, which is where I talk to you today, because, of course, when I PCS over here for, from 16 to 21, had a great time, and then, of course, retired after I PCS back to Bragg, um, retired at the beginning of this year. So... All that to be said, and yes, Tony, I know my camera didn't work, but you would see this lovely beard if, if, if my camera was working. I, again, am one of those people who did grow a beard uh, when I retired. Um, okay, so so real quick, can you just, I mean, if you want, you don't, you, you, anyone who comes on here, you're more than welcome to answer any questions or just say, hey, I don't want to answer that question. But I'm always curious as to, like, why do guys grow beards when they retire? So for, what was your motivation? If you don't For me, it was, it was laziness. Uh, I, I was able to actually not have to shave every day. So um, it was funny because I think, you know, every time I was on leave, do the, do the leave goatee or the leave mustache or, or whatever the case was, um, on deployments, I used to try to grow the orange, uh, what was it, the Orange County Choppers, the, the, the dad. <laughs> And his mustache that he had, I tried. I, I grew that a couple times in deployments. Um, so it was just nice to be able to kind of do something when I retired, and and it, and it kind of just stuck. So now I'm. I. It was funny because, like yourself, I'm bald, and uh, been shaving my head for a few years. So I haven't been sitting in a barber's chair in quite a while. And uh, prior to actually getting the job I'm in now and coming back overseas, I was going to a barber shop for the first time in years and spending money on uh, sitting in a barber's chair and getting my beard done. Strangest thing, but it was <laughs> a little bit yeah, of sweep. Yeah, that, I mean, that's great, right? I mean, that's the beauty of retirement is uh, we can do whatever it is that we feel like doing now, and we don't really have to explain ourselves to anyone. Yeah, and, and you know, it's nice because of the fact that it just, it does kind of allow you to change that look a little bit of the, the you know, especially as we were younger, 
you know, we had the, the high end tights or the, you know, the, the flat tops or whatever it was we had for the, for the time. And especially when I was a young infantryman, um, and, and of course, always clean shaven to the point to where now you're like, okay, I, I mean, I wish I could grow some hair. I've got a friend who's a retired uh, officer and, uh, he looks like uh, he should be a double for uh, Chris Christopherson. I know that's probably <laughs> a, a, for anybody who might be young out there probably doesn't know that reference. Um, uh, they, if they watch the Blade movies, they know who. who that <laughs> yeah, he's the old guy in Blade, exactly. But uh, he looks just like him now. And uh, I, I just wish I could kind of grow the hair myself. But it would be a skullet and my wife would kill me. So I was at the Judas Priest concert uh, last year when they came um, for their 50th anniversary. And, you know, it was during the duty week, and I was the first sergeant. I told my commander, he's like, I'm leaving early. He's like, why? It's like, I'm going to go watch Judas Priest. And he laughs. Like, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm leaving, dude. <laughs> I'm over 20 years. It's like, if you want to fire me, go have at it. But I don't know how much longer Rob Halford is going to be out there touring. So. <laughs> I'm going that, to this concert. That, that is the truth. You gotta, you gotta take advantage. I mean, the one thing I, I'm still trying to figure out what I can see because um, I'm trying to see uh, before before they die, the Rolling Stones. But it's a <laughs> uh, funny story. My wife and I, when we were here in Germany the last time, um, had a chance. Well, tried to get tickets actually for uh, Neil Diamond in uh, Mannheim, Germany. And it sold out like quickly, so we couldn't get tickets. They don't do. Um, it's harder to find the ticket scalpers and those types of things over here as it is in the states. Um, so we didn't even bother trying to actually go to the venue. We're like, ah, oh, we'll just catch him the next time. We'll pay better attention to where he's going to be at. And of course, that was after after he finished that European tour, he went back to the states and decided he was retiring uh, from from concerts because he was coming down with the he was dealing with Parkinson's. Yeah. So you're like, oh, son of a. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's part of this, the podcast, right? Like why, it, when we were in the military, we used to put things off, like with our family or just things that we wanted to do because, well, I have to do this instead because it's so important to the unit or, you know, this might help me get promoted or or whatever the reason. Yeah. For me, it was when I hit that 20th year. I, it wasn't even that. It's when I went back to the 98 to be a first sergeant, and I sat down with Memo. And the first time he talked to me, like, uh, I didn't – he was treating me like a child. And I'm like, mm, now, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm over 20 years, and I don't have to put up with this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, and, he's over I, – I need to actually give – speaking to him, I need to give him a call. He's, it, he's down the road. <laughs> He's a nice fellow, but like, I, I hope he can make the adjustment out of the military because I like him. I really like him as a person. Um, I, I hope he can just make that adjustment when he leaves the military and he's not like that sergeant major I think that I ran into last week. That's one of the big things for, I think, as, as, as you've been talking especially to some of our folks, the, 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 the guys that we know, you and I know, um, and, and, and the folks you'll come, that'll come on throughout the time of your show, everybody's going to have a different path, a different journey in their retirement or ETS or whenever they decided to get out. Because, I mean, that's the one thing is 
you know, I, I know a chunk of the guys you've been talking to are retirees, um, but I'm sure you're going to get some of those folks who, who, who did, you know, a, a few years and, and decided to get out for whatever reasons. I mean, those are those, they're just as important as the retirees. The retirees, we're just a little bit more institutionalized. And like you mentioned with Memo or anybody else, sometimes it's hard for those folks to transition. Um, I think for me, one of the benefits I've always tried to do is the, the Army is part of me, um, but it wasn't me. It wasn't everything I was. And I say that, you know, kind of tongue in cheek because, of course, the job ran everything I did. Everything, I mean, that's for all of us, I think. We, we, you know, but when you came to my house, you didn't see plaques. You didn't see, you know, uniforms are hidden. Not hidden, but hung up in a closet. You know, you try to not... I always tried to keep that life separate. Um, I, I, I had my own problems dealing with it because, of course, I remember a time when the kids came to me um, not long after our 08 deployment. And, you know, I know you guys had some stuff and we had some stuff down in the south. Um, but the fact was is that, uh, you know, we all come back with a little bit of baggage. And I thought I always was better at, at, at I guess, separating those lives and that was that first, when I came home from that deployment, the kids kind of pulled me together in the kitchen and said how much I, I was short-tempered, different things like that. Um, it was a tough pill to swallow. And I had to realize I, I'm not as good as I thought I was. You know, I thought maybe that I was, was better at uh, separating those, those parts of our lives that, you know, whether it be, whether you label it PTSD, whatever it is we, we call it, it's, a, it's our lives. It's those things that shape us. And I thought I was good at separating. And obviously, that was my my intro to the fact that I needed to work on those things because there is no separation. We are the same. So albeit I might try to, to hide, the, uh, not, again, not hide the fact that I was in the Army, but not put that. I didn't want to be the guy who everywhere I went, that's all I was. Um, and I think when we retire, that makes the transition a little bit easier sometimes for those of us who don't eat, breathe, sleep. Um, the army. You're, you're not walking around. I don't. You're not. You're not demanding that people call you first sergeant still. Now in your retired stage, you know. And but there's people out there who had their signature block. You know. You see it all the time. Master sergeant retired. Sergeant major retired. Colonel retired. It's like okay, that's great, but who cares? So, like, like with everything, you know, there's what we talk about. It's not good and it's not bad, like most things in life, right? Um, I bring up Memo because I ran into that other sergeant major, and though I don't know how Memo's going to do when he transfers out, um, but that that Alfonso like had he still has trouble, right? Because he's still in that mentality. Well, when I was looking for a job, there were two gentlemen. Um, one who works for CACI, who introduced himself as Major General Retired So-and-So, right? Which I thought, wow, this is really pretentious. Wow, what am I going to get from this? But he was very helpful. He, um, you know, he, it was a group of us that he was talking to. He gave us his email, his personal uh, phone number, and said, hey, when you, if you apply, send me your resume so I can see it too. And then I can uh, send it back and say, like, hey, or before you apply, send it to me so I could review it real quick. I'll give you some tips, and then you could 
take my advice or not and, you know, apply for the position and then uh, just let me know when you apply for it so I can, you know, put in a good word for you so you can at least get the an interview. Can't guarantee you're going to get the job, but I can, you know, advocate for you. And that was great. And there was another gentleman who, uh, uh, I, I forgot what, what job it was. Like he really criticized my resume and I know like I'm not the, you know, Ernest Hemingway of, of writing resumes. Right. I know that. Um, but for me, you know, it was good enough and that's what I was going to go with. And he introduced himself as a retired first sergeant. It's like, well, that's awesome. Because I was also a retired first sergeant. It was like, it doesn't mean anything. But after he got over his little speech of telling me how great he was, he was actually very helpful. And he was trying to help me get a position with his organization. Um, so it's not that for me, it's not really that there's a problem. It's more that when you, when you say stuff like that, it can be perceived as a problem for places where you're applying. Because some of the places where I applied to, I could see that they were a little worried. They weren't military affiliated. Uh, and they were a little worried that I was going to be that psycho retiree that just couldn't let go of the military. Running around knife handing people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and that's, you know, and, and there are those that, that can, can, I guess you could say, wade in both pools. Um, but I find, I think that most of us, it, it's, it, you have to almost, you have to be, you have to embrace the fact that you're a civilian, whether, you know, either, even while you're in, I think that's the only transition. I think that, especially even when we were in CA, and I think that's, that's the benefit for us on the soft side, because we are, we're supposed to be a, you know, as far as the, the, the special operations forces, we're supposed to be a more professional lot. Um, is that always the case? Well, no. I mean, that's like anything. You know you, you know that as well as I do. But the fact is, is that we are the ones that are supposed to be able to be professionals. And, you know, you look at what using first names, um, but still being able to understand the rank structure without having to use the rank. That's the, the thing that, that that's supposed to separate you, so make, make you a professional. Um, but that also helps us in the transition period because we're not, that's not the first thing you're saying is that rank. And I think that's when, when, when you, when that's all you are, when you first walk into a room, that becomes your identity. Um, and that's the hard part. That's that, that's, and I think that's where a show like yours, you know, this, this podcast allows people to hear different viewpoints and, and, and allows people to think a little bit differently about their military service. Cause none of us, I don't think that, especially the folks I know that you've had on thus far to include myself, none of us look at the military as something that was a bad decision in our lives. You know, we, I think we all look at it as, I think for several of us that you've had on to probably include yourself, it saved our lives. It gave us opportunity, provided us with things that, I mean, I've seen uh, different, I mean, so last count, I think it was 64 countries, and I think I'm at like 40 states. 
Um, so, I mean, again, going back to my introduction about me being a kid from Chicago, uh, there's many people that never leave that city, uh, let alone get to see the things that I've seen. And, and, and I find that as, as being, you know, such a benefit in my life. So I know that's, you know, when I, when I, when I, it's not to be disparaging when I talk about the fact that I didn't put the army first and foremost, because I did everything we did, we did the army first. But I think that that's where we can help those folks who maybe weren't in a, I guess you could say more of a professional workplace and it was ranked all the time. It was, that was who you were. So this kind of gives people that path to change their, that mindset a little bit, I think. And that's good. So with that being said, Rob, could you, uh, could we, could you transition into a little bit about how you went about the, the GS process? Cause uh, for me, uh, you know, I don't know if everyone knows that it's a different resume. It's a federal resume, right? And it's a little bit more detailed and, for me, I thought, okay, so what does that mean? Like two pages? And then I started re- reading um, these ads on USA Jobs, and it was saying up to six pages. Like six pages? What am I supposed <laughs> to write on for six pages? This is yeah. insane. But so, I heard, had other people saying, like, that's not enough. I need 10 pages. Like 10 pages? What are you doing? So can you just um, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was, you know, and, and you mentioned before, and I think even Junior mentioned it in his. Um, so my first resume in, in years was uh, I, I was assisted by the, uh, uh, the war, uh, excuse me, the uh, Care Coalition, the SOCOM Care Coalition. And uh, actually it was Al Palacios who, uh, you know, of course, all of us in CA love and uh, admire, but Al – it's funny because we had a there was like a flock of guys up there that are uh, that are working in the care coalition. But but anyways, that aside, um, they introduced me to uh, basically a resume writer. So they helped with these different pieces. And there's other options like what is it? Hire our heroes. There's there, there's those different organizations out there that will help with resume writing. I tell everybody who who will listen, especially when you're retiring or ETSing. That is the most important things that you can get somebody to help you with is that resume. Because albeit it might not be the, 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 the perfect document, it gives you a starting point. And for a lot of us monkeys, um, that helps us begin that process. So, of course, I had a professional one, which was a two-pager. That was my um, the one that I was given to, you know, to, to uh, different uh, contracting companies, um, even for the job that I, I, I did have uh, when I first walked out the door. So retired 31 December. Um, so started my retirement rolls on 1 January, so the new year, the same time that North Carolina decided to make our retirement checks tax-free, which is great. Um, so I picked the right time. But the uh, you know January 3rd, I started my first job as a contractor. Because, of course, for us, you know, we've got to wait the six months, that six-month moratorium for us as we get out the door. Um, and for a lot of us, it's hard to kind of start looking at the GS because a lot, you, you hear a lot of people talking about taking time for themselves. I think you mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, you know, you can't stop that forward momentum. What would you say about the, the Ricky Bobby uh, uh, reference that you used? I, I just didn't know what to do with my head. Yeah, 
It's true. I was sitting here. It's like, what do I do? Because I was used to like these crazy text messages and phone calls out of all all hours of the day, all, all hours of the night, and all of a sudden everything just went silent. It's like I, I was going to school. I had been in school for what sixteen, eighteen years, and I had finally finished. It was like I really don't know what to do. <laughs> well, and, and that's the hard part because I just, you know, I took a couple. I, I, I mean. I, st- I made my decision after I came back. I was up, I was up in the brigade headquarters working in the plan section and uh, went to support an exercise, uh, got stuck in the desert in New Mexico for three weeks, and then decided when I came back, I was like, you know, people always had said, you'll know when it's time. Because I've always been that guy, I'll go as long as I can go. Um, and I came back from that one and said, yep, it's time to go. But uh, so I, I didn't even give myself really that true um, you know, two year or one year countdown out the door. I started my process basically in um, in earnest in September of last year, and like I said, with a you know thirty one December walkout date. But I, like you, didn't want to stop that forward momentum. I wanted to keep going because I don't need a gap. Hi everyone, this is Tony. I, this is the end of part one uh, with Rob. And so I hope you like what you heard. Um, Part two will be coming up shortly. It's just as interesting as the first part. So until next time, we'll catch you later. And just remember, you are important. You're special. You do matter. Take care of your physical and your mental health. Zot, 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 and roll tide.